0: Wonderful. So glad to have you all. Uh, We have been going through the parables. Uh, Some of you are just really coming in here, and we're going to just do maybe just a light introduction to explain one or two things, and then we're going to move on with our parable. We're in Matthew 13. Go ahead and turn there with me. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go ahead and get started, okay? We'll be in Matthew 13. Heavenly Father, O Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray, O God, that our hearts would be receptive to your word, I pray that your spirit would provide just divine illumination insight into the text, O God. Help us to apply our minds, Lord. Let those who have ears hear, O God. I pray that you would give understanding to us now, Lord, as we draw near to your word, uh, to receive, as we were just singing of, uh, the Lord truly does feed his sheep, Lord. I pray that you'd use this time uh, to feast on your word. I pray that you'd bless this time in Jesus' name. By his authority, we come and pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, first question is this. What is a parable? A story. Kind of. Kind of. Not just a story. It definitely conveys meaning. Right? Last time we looked at a parable and we broke down the word. The first word here, it's made up of two words. The first word here, para, is this word beside. This word here, beside. And we have the second word here, which is just this word here, which is balo, is the word that it stems from, which means to cast or throw. To cast or throw. So when we're speaking about parables, Jesus would lay or place spiritual truth alongside everyday personal experiences. That is what a parable is. Jesus laying spiritual truth alongside everyday, and personal experiences. Now, um, we, uh, the last two weeks, we actually we went through the parable of the sower. To be honest, the parable of the sower needs five weeks. One week for the introduction and a week on each of the soils. It's, it's that deep. We tried to condense it all into one message last week uh, for time's sake. And I would encourage you to go listen to that because it's a very important message for me. A very important message to our body. It, uh, the Lord, I, I believe, greatly used that message to help and give insight into uh, His Word, into that parable. Uh, so I'd encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, so when Christ, speaking of speaking of Christ, is using parables in order to convey, they are vehicles in which He is conveying spiritual truth, kingdom mysteries, only to His disciples. It was to them. That the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom were granted, but to those who are outside it was not granted only the the privileged citizens of god's kingdom uh, have the this privilege are granted access into knowing the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Last week, Christ gave the disciples in his first parable. Uh, one of these mysteries was an in-depth look, look into what otherwise they would not be able to see, which is a view of the human heart as God sees it. A view of the human heart. And, uh, as one of the parables, it was, uh, one of the mysteries, it was, it was a view into the human heart, a gaze into that, and the kind of reception to expect when the glorious gospel is preached. The gospel of the kingdom is preached. Uh, So though many sit under the word of the kingdom, many of them will not enter the kingdom. Many of them will not enter the kingdom. Uh, The message is not going to produce universal obedience and love for the truth in every heart. When the kingdom of God has come, when the message of the kingdom is preached, and so what we ultimately took away from the, uh, the central message of the parable of the sower is that the kingdom of God has come. We are heralds of the kingdom, Christ the the, the anointed herald of the kingdom, uh, and we know that that kingdom, it will be accepted by some, those whom it was prepared for, and it will be rejected by others. It will be rejected by others. Uh, let's get into the parable that we are going into this afternoon. We are going to get into the parable of the tares, or the parable of the wheat and the tares, and... Um, Let me get one reader, a loud reader, who can read just the first section from verses uh, 24 to verse 30. Who can read that nice and loud. 24 to verse 30, please. Thank you.
1: Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore (coughs) grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Mm. How then does it have tares? (coughs) And he said to them, An enemy has done this. Mm. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For a while... For while you gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. So among all the parables that Jesus presented to the multitudes, we only have explanations, really in-depth explanations for only two parables, which is the parable of the sower, the parable of the tares. Some of them give maybe one or two verses of, of, of interpretation, explanation, but outside of that, there really isn't much. And remember, what we just heard... Is, is the only, that is the only content, that parable that that brother just read, uh, that, that is the only content that multitudes, uh, that's the only content that they heard, right? Jesus basically told them about agriculture. And, um, and we're going to get into some of the meaning of, of what's going on in that, in the, um, just in the parable. But Jesus, he gave them the parable, but he did not give them any of the explanation, uh, he did not. He did not give them any insight into that message, into that truth. And so, in this parable, the parable of the tares, it's one. It's this is the second of seven kingdom parables uh, that we will be going through. And Jesus continues the theme of farming and sowing, uh, but the only difference is that instead of dealing with soils, which we did in the first, we are now dealing with seeds. Now dealing with seeds. In the first parable. The seed was good, but what was the issue? The soil, right? The the seed was good, but the soil was bad. But in this parable, the issue doesn't arise with the soil. Uh, It doesn't arise from the good seed, but what does it arise from? Right? From the bad seed, right? From the seed which was sown uh, by an enemy. As we will get into a seed, so the issues with the bad seed being sown among the good seed, and so before we get into explanation, we'll just I want to comment kind of lightly on the parable itself, the bare parable, and then we'll get into uh, we'll get into the explanation. But it says in verse twenty four that Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field." I want you just to mark that. Whose field it is? This is his field. The man who is sowing the seed. Remember, this is his property. This is the seed that he possesses. Verse twenty-five. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy—remember that, mark that—it's his enemy. This will all come to come to bear upon when we go through the explanation. Came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain. Then the tares became evident also. Here's an interesting fact. One commentator called this agricultural sabotage. Did you know that there was a Roman law that dealt with the crime of sowing darnel, right, this wheat-like seed in in the fields of people where they were trying to grow their crops? There was a crime crime which says you cannot do this and you would be condemned if you did. And so in the immature stage uh, of growth, Darnell really is a wheat look-alike. They kind of looked the same in the beginning. And uh, there's shortly after the seed was sown, the stems would rise up. And at that point, there's basically, you couldn't tell the difference between the two. Um, but it's only when, as you see here in verse 26, it's only when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Then you began to distinguish between the two. But it's only when they had risen up, it's only when they had Uh, sprouted and bore grain then the, the difference was demonstrable verse 27 the slaves of the landowner came and said to him sir did you not sow good seed in your field this is your field again how then does it have tares and he said to them an enemy has done this verse 29 but he said no or sorry the slave said to him do you want us then to go and gather them up But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. That is what the multitudes would have received without the explanation. Now, darnel is dangerous for a couple of reasons. It's uh, really a weed, which they, which you would call a uh, a darnel weed in the Greek. It's zizanion that is oftentimes uh, a, a poisonous. The grains of which are actually poisonous in this in this weed, and it can be a carrier of a harmful mold, which if eaten can be it can cause sickness. It can even be fatal. But for our purposes here, the darnel would grow so close to the wheat that its roots would really fiercely intertwine uh, with the wheat, with the wheat roots in the soft soil. And so, if you went to pull up a darnel, there's a good chance that you could all, you could you could also rip up the wheat as well. You could you could uproot both at the same time. Um, uh, another thing you could do and that's before the proper time but another thing you could do just because of a lack of discernment looking for the weeds in your field if one was to go and try to separate uh, to make sure they have a clean and pure field it was possible that a servant could prematurely uproot the wrong crop altogether if they went out trying to decipher between the two right easy enough easy enough now you know i like pictures and I have one for you. Look at the difference here. Uh, you you can tell in the beginning stages they look alike. I don't have that picture. But this is what darna would look like and this is what wheat would look like. They're similar, aren't they? They really are similar in some sense. You can tell how the, the, the form and sh- that but once once they start sprouting you begin to see a difference. But in but in the beginning it really looks like asparagus. It's just kind of like a stem, you know, that grows up and then sprouts but when uh, when they uh, sprout up together whenever they grow you begin to the difference becomes absolutely clear um and of course you see the the eagerness the anxiousness for the farmers to go and and want to pluck up pluck up the darnel the the seed which the enemy sowed have any usefulness? um i don't think so I don't think so. It's actually really big. It's actually a really big problem. Uh, it's probably akin to just any weed that you see growing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that it has any useful usefulness. But in this, uh, in uh, when it comes to crops and sowing, it was a threat to those crops, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It was a threat to the crops. That was a big problem. As and as we can see, you can tell by the uselessness of it, by the fact that people, an enemy, people would come and try to. Uh, uh, this agricultural sabotage compromised the crops of someone else because they knew that it could it could really wreak havoc on someone's field. Uh, so it was nothing good. Um, okay, one more reader. Give me one more reader. Someone loud who wants to read uh, this last section. Who wants to read the explanation for us? Sister, go ahead. Uh, read, uh, go down to verse 36 through 43. Yes, ma'am. I'm not wearing my glasses. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> then he
2: said the crowds then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Hmm. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Hmm. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the
0: Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear <clears throat> Amen. Thank you so much. Now you'll notice that there are some things mentioned in the actual parable that Jesus really gives no correspondence to. Right? He gives no equivalent to um, maybe like the barn and, and things like that. You know, he gives no equivalent for the fact that the men were sleeping. right? And some people... Uh they really kind of take some of these things in the uh in the bare parable and add explanation to them where Jesus doesn't add explanation to them. And that's what we don't want to do, right? Many people they they've made much of the fact that the enemy came while the men were sleeping, right? There's the issue. And um but I don't think uh that's actually an essential part. If it was, Jesus would actually he would interpret it, he would give explanation to it. Um but I think the, the Lord says nothing about it because it really isn't a, a part of the story we're supposed to focus on. Uh, the men worked hard and they went to bed. That's it. They went to bed and uh, that's what you do after you work hard. You, you go home and you go to bed. Uh, and it was at this time when uh, the enemy came and sowed the seed. And so what you'll notice in the explanation is that Jesus first gives the equivalences of the parable— about the uh, and the nature of the present evil age. The nature of the present evil age, that's what you see in verses 37 through 39. Those are the equivalences. He basically, he takes, he takes the parable and he says, this is the meaning of those different things. He gives you the equivalence, what they correspond to, and the nature of the present evil age. Then Jesus, he moves to the latter part of the parable and focuses on the end of the present evil age. What will happen at the end? And he gives us us that in verses 40 through 43, right? The meaning of the parable, the certain judgment of the wicked is explained in the last four verses. It is primarily a parable of judgment, this parable. Primarily a parable of judgment. But first we'll get into the equivalences, the nature of the present evil age, okay? Uh, Let's start in verse 36. And if you have any questions, please... Uh, ask them, let me know. Any questions so far? Pretty easy so far. Okay. Verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house. Jesus would do this when he was going to give the explanation of a parable. He would leave the multitudes, right? He was not going to give them the mysteries of the kingdom, the explanation of the parables, uh, just the bare parable. Um, And then it says, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Do you see that? That's why I say this parable, though it describes some of the blessings of the righteous at the end, is a parable of judgment. It's primarily about the tares. Primarily about the tares. They're wanting to know, tell us the explanation of the parable of the tares. The primary focus is not on the wheat, though there are some things in here, but the primary focus is on the tares. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, verse 38, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels, right? What do we see about the field? Whose field is it? It's God's field. It's the Lord's field. Specifically, it's the Son of Man's field. This field, uh, it corresponds to, which is a truth of greater significance, which is speaking about the world. That field corresponds to the world, the, the cosmos that we are living in at this current time. God owns this world. The Son of Man owns this world. This is His world and that is the truth that the Bible proclaims throughout. You read in Psalm 24, 1, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Deuteronomy ten fourteen says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven, even the heaven of heavens, right? Even the height of the heights, the highest places, the earth and uh, with all that is in it, belong to the Lord, right? Now in the field, which corresponds to the world, which is the present evil age, which while I, was, I would define the present evil age. This present evil world are seeds that represent sons of the kingdom as well as sons of the devil. Ultimately, there's two different kinds of people. There's two different kinds of people in this, uh, in this parable. Now, there's two different directions that people have gone when it comes to, uh, when it comes to describing what exactly is the world. And I ran into that this week uh, when, when giving some consideration because it ultimately, de- it ultimately determines the, the, the direction that you take this parable. Whether you say the, the focus, if some people would say that the world is the church. My view is not, the, my view is not that the world is the church. There is a word, there's a word for church or for uh, the people of God. And Jesus, he equivalated the field to the cosmos, to the world. And there's a lot of people who would say that is the world. And, uh, for me, uh, I would believe that that view is untenable because of just a couple of factors and how it, and how it, uh, and how it affects really the purity of the church. Not that there aren't going to be tears in the church, right? I believe that this parable, it has a broader scope than the church. Not merely the church, but the world, right? Even as John MacArthur said, it's not about the world in the church, but the church in the world. The Church in the world. Any questions about that? No. I know that that is a, I know that that is a view uh, which many hold in the reform circle. A lot of Presbyterian writers would hold that view. that really, this parable is about uh, pastoral issues. Uh, that it is about. Uh, it's not about. Really, it's not, at the end of the day, it's not about church discipline because if it is, Jesus forbids the, the plucking of tares uh, from growing alongside uh, the wheat. Uh, right? It's 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 it, it, so so. It really does affect how we how, how our our church and our purity. Yeah.
3: Right. Right. You know, their view of the church and their view of the covenant of grace uh, suggests that you know we're living in a mixed multitude and that the new covenant will never truly be realized here. So right. we have to accommodate for how we can you know, we have to embrace the mixed nature of the church. Right. Uh, and that's why you would baptize
0: infants because yeah. it's necessarily gonna be mixed. So I mean that's, right. that's Right. Those are some of my thoughts, too. But think of the, uh, that that really does have implications. Just think if you, the the farmers in the field, they notice this is a tear. And uh, Jesus said, leave it alone. Leave it alone. It looks like a tear. It acts like a tear. Smells like a tear. You know, spreads disease like a tear. Don't do anything about it. don't call the tear out, right? But Jesus is uh, his his, uh, his 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 um. What we have, uh, you know, just in, just about five chapters later, he he gives a discourse on church discipline, right? On church discipline, First Corinthians five, he doesn't say uh, let the let the wicked man remain among you, but what does he say? Cast him Cast, purge the wicked man from your midst. Purge him. It's not the same language as this. What I would I would argue, yeah. That's true.
2: That's
0: right. Mhm. Yeah, that's right. So th- those are that that's that's kind of why I, I I don't fall there. I spent half the week reading authors who would who would propagate that view. Uh I couldn't make sense of it myself. Uh but like Amelia was just saying it really does um that goes alongside with their view of the body of a mixed church which uh, which we would definitely disagree with their stance on the nature of the church, the mixture of the church. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way, get that out of the way. Uh, but w- remember what this parable is conveying, though. The parable is conveying information about the kingdom of heaven. It is conveying information about the kingdom. It was, God, j- Christ is telling us something about the kingdom, and the mystery of the kingdom— This is it. Are you ready? The kingdom of God is present. Now, we're we're going to think about this. The kingdom of God is present and secretly working in the world here and now. Here and now. That is the mystery that Jesus is, is sharing through this. The kingdom of God has come in an unexpected form in the Messiah. In an unexpected form in the Messiah. How do you think people would have described the end time coming of God's kingdom? Question to you. How do you think they would describe that end time coming of God? Really apocalyptic, right? Uh, battle style. Mm-hmm. Uh, political leader. Right. Christ reigning with a rod, right? Ruling. Um, defeating his enemies. Casting out the adversaries, the opposers, the unbelievers, the rejectors. Um, I think that's how people would have described this, right? But, but the kingdom isn't near, merely something we wait for as an end-time apocalyptic event, is it? Right? But why is that? Why is it not something we wait for? Because it's within you, really, because it's here, right? Because the king has come. So it's not something we merely just wait for. It's something that we seek. It's something that we here and now enter into this kingdom. And the mystery of the kingdom is this, that the kingdom has come into history. It has come into history, but in such a way, and this is the mystery of the parable, the kingdom has come into history, that apocalyptic event, the powers of the age to come, the world to come, has come into history, and the the wicked are not uprooted from society. And they are not uprooted. Um, The children of the kingdom have received God's reign and entered into its blessings. Uh, They must continue to live in this age, intermingled with the wicked in a mixed society. And And only at the eschatological coming of the kingdom will the separation take place. Will the separation take place. That's what he's talking about. We're going to be intermixed, but judgment will come. Judgment is certain for the wicked. But it's not right now. Yeah. But it's not right now. Any questions? I was
1: going to say you're going know, to separate the sheep and the goats.
0: They will. That will happen. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, th- I think it, it's also a really great argument on, on against theonomy.
0: Um, mm. Because you're not... I think so too. You're
1: not <laughs> to uh, disturb the order in that sense uh, now. Um, yeah. Because quite clearly it's it's stating the, the opposite it's you know don't don't uproot them because then you might be taking away the wrong one
0: that's true the church is not to be the government that goes out and eliminates or eradicates the tears from the world that's the, that's that's jobs right vengeance is mine says the lord Vengeance will be his, and it is not It is not for the church to take it into their own hand. That's what he's saying. It is not your job, not your responsibility. It's, it's the responsibility of the Messiah, and uh, he has said he's going to do it. It would be similar to going and saying, just because someone didn't
3: receive the message of the gospel, that they're a tear, you know, they'll never be a part of the church. Well, we don't know that. Sure. But one day God may have, have, choose to save them. He so might change them. correct. Right. the way you know of right. the up. That's
0: right. And there's there's been issues with that throughout church history, right? Think of just even just uh, just some one example is just the Catholic Church and the millions that they killed. Millions that they murdered, right? Because they took matters into their own hands, judgment into their own hands. I guess the only um, I mean I see what he's saying. Sure. I'm trying to reconcile the fact that there are two different crops, right? So there's a wheat and a tear. Yeah. So you're pulling out two different things, right? So it can't be possibly it right. Can't You don't, yeah, you don't, I don't think you want to press the analogy so hard, but Jesus ultimately is the one who who creates the the the, the wheat, right? Creates the wheat. Not I'm, I. I don't know if you want to say, well, he converts the terror and, and he makes it a wheat, but but he's the one who changes whatever it was. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it was. But I, I would agree with the principle that you you you, you become what you weren't, right? Right. I
3: think the misconception will come from our limited knowledge. Yes. Then you'll know the difference. Well, we don't see the portion of that harvest happening. Sure. Christ sees that those will be saved. So we don't look at everybody and say, tear, tear, wheat, wheat, tear, tear. We we see those believers who live and bear fruit like they're wheat. But we can't definitely say, tear, wheat, wheat, tear, tear. That's right.
0: Yeah, that's right. We are limited. We We are fallible in our knowledge. All right. We don't have the ability to judge like that. We make we make terrible judges when it comes to you know that kind of. On a practical level. Yeah. How could removing the tears affect believers? Now I'm just curious. too. Also, is, is there any implication of doing that? Say. Yeah. Um, we'll I, go ahead. The Lord sanctifies us through the hmm. universe. That's true. Mm. That's true. Mm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think I think that's a good point. Uh, what do you got?
1: to go into the world and preach the gospel if there's no one to preach that's to, true uh, we, we have no kingdom work mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: to, to do um, and of course when we're told that we're not to be of you know uh, in the world not of the world right uh, that wouldn't even make sense um, mm. because we would have no correspondence to what what uh, what what he is trying to mold us into and, and really Post us against that dark, you know, uh, backdrop of sin right. uh, to make us look sweet.
0: Sure, yeah, Pastor. Uh, I
1: think what the brother's
3: asking is, you know, what, what's the danger in uh, sort of preemptively trying to distinguish between the wheat and tares? And I think that that speaks to the fact that the church uh, does not have an infallible knowledge of the election. Sure. Hmm. Fairly certain my wife is elect, yeah, but I am not infallibly certain, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, operating, I live under a general assurance that I'm not trying to pick on my wife, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, think about church membership. We, we, we do the best that we can with the discernment that we have in this age to determine.
0: Right, 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 so right. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Let's, let's, um, let's move on. I, 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 we have only so much more time, and I want to get through some information here. Uh, another key characteristic, and I think what what brings what brings. The, uh, what, what brings uh, helps understanding this parable more is understanding one of, one of these key characteristics of the kingdom, in that it's this: the kingdom uh, inaugurated by Jesus was not one of swift and immediate judgment. It was not one of swift and immediate judgment. The prophecies relating to the end of the world, uh, the destruction of the ungodly, the final coming of God have not been fulfilled. Right? They have not been fulfilled. Uh, they have not been fulfilled in the present form of the kingdom. The first coming of the Messiah was not primarily one of exercising speedy judgment, as you know from the scriptures, but one of sacrifice for sin. One of sacrifice for sin, of salvation. His mission was free grace through his blood by faith. Uh, Luke, look, look at me to Luke, four, turn me to chap- Luke chapter 4. Go with me to Luke 4. I apologize, we're going to go through this kind of quickly since we're running out of time. Luke 4, really 16 through 21 and 22. And uh, I just kind of, I want to read this to you. I want to read this section of scripture to you. Luke 4. Verse sixteen, and he came to Nazareth as, had be, uh, as as he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue of the Sabbath on the Sabbath, and stood up to read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah uh, was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now there's one issue and many have, ter- many have pointed out the issue is that he does not quote the whole verse. He stopped short of of quoting what is Isaiah sixty one verse two. He stopped short. Do you know how that verse ends? Anybody? But you can you can tell you can tell and you can look at the mission of Jesus by what he quotes in this verse. Notice what he stopped short of, Isaiah sixty one two says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. That's how it ends. And the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't, he didn't read that verse. He did not read that verse. And I think that in this you can see what was the primary mission of the Messiah is that he came to bring salvation. You look at verse 22 where we are and all were speaking well of him and wondering. You see that? And wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. It was a grace, it was a gracious message that he was speaking to them. But his, to say something about his ministry, his first coming was not for the purpose of eradicating those uh, who rejected his messiahship and teaching. Uh, He was not born for the purpose of taking the seed of political power and exercising force to subdue his enemies. Not yet, not yet. Uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, then my servants would be what? They would be fighting. They would be fighting that I might not be (laughs) delivered up to the Jews. Right? Peter tried to fight for Jesus, right? And he was rebuked by Jesus. In effect, Jesus says, Peter, if I wanted to be saved from this, all I need to do is give one look to my Father who is in heaven and he will at once send 12 legions of angels to descend in dreadful fury and wage war on my behalf. That is what he could do. Jesus, in, in a moment, one prayer, the angels would rip out of heaven and come at his, disp- at his dispense. Um, the message was, Peter, you don't need to save me. I came in the world to save you. I came into the world to save you. Uh, the proclamation of his ministry, uh, he, he, the, the main proclamation was the favorable year of the Lord. It wasn't the day of vengeance by your blood, right? Because of his messianic mission, it was cross-centered. It was by his blood. It was by his blood. Yeah, the doctor, late Dr. Edmund Clowney, he says that Jesus Christ did not come to bring the judgment, but to bear the judgment. He came to bear the judgment, and the death of Christ, this was central to the mission of his first coming, his death. Any questions? Well, I was just saying again, I think I understand overall what you're saying, but in some aspect in the coming of Christ, the day of the adventure where God was proclaimed. That's right. Not fulfilled, that's still yet to come. Yep. But it was certainly inaugurated in some form because even That's right. That's right. There were, there were, there were, uh, Christ did proclaim judgment, but the ultimate judgment, which was expected for him to act and exercise was not being exercised, was not being exercised. Look at like, even you see in Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, he prophesied about the coming of Christ at his son's birth, and he proclaimed salvation from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, was blazing the trail before Jesus. Uh, He was preaching, what was he preaching? The axe of judgment is laid at the root. Every tree that that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And Luke 3.16, it says, He who is mightier than me is coming. He is coming, and he says his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, and burn up the, tra- the chaff with unquenchable fire. That is what John was preaching. I believe that is, that those were John's expectations of Jesus, uh, the one who was to come. But, but look at this, though. There was a problem with this in John's mind. Um you can turn go turn to go to uh, go to Matthew 11:3. And we're going to wrap up shortly here. Matthew 11:3. Yes. About right. That's right. Right. Jesus said, no, Upon the man who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. They to him, right. That's right. He was with us, right? It is not against us. So we around, like, be, right. You know, right. We do not have the ministry of Elijah, yeah. right? Um no, that's good. But look, he says this, even in verse, in verse 2, he says, Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ and his ministry, when he heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or shall we look for someone else? Right? He was beginning to doubt the presence of the kingdom because he expected something else. John the Baptist, he expected something else. Jesus was doing works of miracles, but in John's mind, that was only one part of the mission. Yes, Jesus was to come, and he was to do miracles. He was to heal the poor, poor, right? to comfort the the downtrodden. He was to, to come, and that was one part of his ministry. But he wasn't exactly wielding the acts of judgment when he came, exercising judgment, like John had expected. Right. But he knew very well what the Messiah was going to do, but maybe not how he was going to accomplish uh, what he was going to accomplish in his uh, in his ministry. He was the savior. He was going to bring salvation. Right. He was the judge. He was going to bring judgment. And however, the latter, the physical ultimate judgment, it would come not in his ministry but it would come at the consummation. Like in our parable, it would come at the end of the age. You see in John three seventeen, where it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Right? Jesus would accomplish the purpose of his mission, not with the axe, ultimately, but with the cross. That's how he would accomplish the purpose of his mission. Uh, how is the king going to establish, advance, triumph in his kingdom? Not in a way that you would think. It's coming and being crucified. It's coming, being crucified, and dying. That that is how the king, ultimately rising again, how he was going to establish his kingdom, how he was going to establish his kingdom. The king ultimately came to be crucified, right? You would think that Jesus' ministry would amount to taking sinners in the hands of an angry Messiah. But it was actually the other way around. But it was the Messiah in the hands of angry sinners who were crucifying him, who were putting him on the cross. It's the one who dwelt in the bosom of inapproachable light came down to die in our place in order to extinguish our darkness. Light himself has come into the world. Um, Jesus, he powerfully brought the eschatological kingdom into time and the wicked are not uprooted as anticipated. As anticipated. That is the mystery of the kingdom. The kingdom has come and the wicked are not uprooted. The mystery, uh, George Ladd says, the mystery of the kingdom is the coming of the kingdom into history in advance of his apocalyptic manifestation. It is in short fulfillment without consummation. And that is what the Messiah is revealing to us in this parable. In this parable. Um, we are just about out of time here. I might have to skip over some things. So, uh, let's, let's go down here. Actually, I'll end here. Uh, that's the current situation of the present evil age. That's the, that's the, that, that, is, that is what Jesus is trying to convey in this parable. Uh, judgment is certain. Uh, judgment is going to come uh, to those who will not submit to King Jesus and trust him and enter his kingdom. When the harvest has come, Jesus will exercise his kingly rule in eschatological separation of the wheat and the tares. Right? How will God... Destroy the rebels at the end of the age. What will the final judgment look like? Go to verse 40 in Matthew 13. Verse, verse 40, Matthew 13. He tells us this. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have the Son of Man, which is a figure in Daniel, uh, Daniel 7. 13 through 14. And he is going to be the judge. At the second coming, he will execute final judgment on the wicked. They will be bound by angels, flown to the judgment furnace, and cast into the eternal fire where there's no escape. But it is audible. Their weeping is audible. It can be heard. Their shrieking screams can be heard. Uh, And there's, uh, there's no place of escape. While... The, the saints, you see that in, in Matthew twenty four thirty one, Jesus does send the angels. He, the angels also come and gather the elect. They gather the elect and uh, they gather them and, uh, into the kingdom of eternal life, which was prepared for them to inherit, prepared for them to enter. And so sinners must look to Christ. They must find peace with God or that opportunity will cease forever. That opportunity will cease forever. If you reject the peace of God before the grave, you won't find it before the grave or you won't find it after the grave. If you do not enjoy the peace of God on this side, you will not enjoy it on the other side, hereafter. And then it says this in verse 43, then the right, no, I'm missing. Uh, I, 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 I need two weeks on this. The uh, verse 43 says, "Then the righteous will shine. they will shine forth uh, as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears let him hear. The world will enter a miserable furnace of flames, while the church shall enter into a glorious rest in the kingdom of God. And in that place, there will not be one ounce of sorrow to diminish your eternal joy, your eternal joy. In this passage, we actually find another reference to Daniel. It's, it's, uh, it's Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3, and it says this, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Everlasting contempt. Though Verse 3, those who have insight will shine, those who are wise with wisdom and insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. They will shine forth as the sun. And it says this, and it says, Like the stars, and it says, And those who lead many to righteousness, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. The sons of the kingdom will shine forth in terms of brilliant glory as they enjoy eternal redemption in the presence of the Lamb. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's so, your life hangs on trusting the Messiah, on serving the Messiah and, and seeking to please him. I pray that we would all do that and find rest and close with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go to worship.